back with you. I appreciate your prayers this morning. Good service there in Burlington. This time was at Salem Presbyterian Church, and uh, those very familiar to us, Joel Pankratz, uh, Joel and Lisa were away. I think it was a vacation Sunday for them, but uh, Ray and Becky send their greetings and enjoyed very good fellowship with them. I told them we missed them, but uh, we're really grateful and happy for what they're doing too. So it's a mixture of feelings to be sure. But I appreciate your prayers and they send very much their warm greetings to you all. I want to read this evening from the Gospel of Luke chapter 22. And we'll read briefly, this is Luke's account of the institution of the Lord's Supper. We say each time, and we will again tonight read from 1 Corinthians, and we call those the words of institution, as Paul is writing and giving that instruction to the church. Really taken back, it's one of those things you don't often think of, but when it comes into your seminary studies, Corinthians was probably written before all of the gospel accounts that record the, the upper room and the Last Supper. So, in a sense, Paul was the first one to tell us about the words that were spoken that night. But I want to read Luke's account this evening because, well, how he opens this and the Lord's just bearing of his heart to these disciples, those men in the spiritual condition they were in, that he said these words to them. We'll read from verse 14 or excuse me, verse 13. And they went and found as he had said unto them, and they made ready the Passover. And when the hour was come, he sat down and the twelve apostles with him. And he said unto them, With desire I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say unto you, I will not any more eat thereof until it be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took the cup and gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say unto you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God shall come. And he took bread and gave thanks and brake it and gave it unto them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. Likewise also the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you. Well, amen. We trust again the Lord to add His blessing to the public reading of His Word. I'll ask you to pause again and let's bow our heads and our hearts together. Our Heavenly Father, we tonight again with hearts that are full, as we come together and sing Your praises, Lord, so often we're moved even at hymns selected by the people to see what meditations of heart, what truth is wanting to be shared and sung with our brothers and sisters. And Lord, especially as we gather in this place around this table, that which You have desired to be the means whereby we rightly remember our Savior. And so draw near to us, Lord, all the pieces of what we gather to do this night, to worship, to remember, 
to commune with one another and commune with you. Let those be vitally known to us tonight by the workings of your Spirit in this place. And we pray it with thanksgiving. In Jesus' worthy name, amen. I wanted to read from Luke's Gospel this evening because I love that opening phrase. The Lord says, with desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Luke really is using a Hebraism here as a repetition for emphasis. I remember one time I was preaching on the life of Moses a lot of years ago. And in my Cambridge Bible, which has some excellent marginal readings, I noticed in that little time where Moses has been sent out of Pharaoh's presence and the Israelites have been told to find their own straw, to make their own bricks without the help of the supplies being brought to them. And Moses reaches out and really complains to the Lord, Lord, what are you doing? Why have you sent me? And he says, you haven't delivered your people at all. But the marginal reading says, delivering, thou hast not delivered. And that rendering of the phrase was going to fit great in my sermon. So I called Dr. Barrett and said, help me out here, this marginal reading. He said, yeah, that's exactly right. It's an infinitive absolute. It literally says, delivering, you've not delivered. I said, so now can I say this in my sermon? He said, nope. He said, it's just a means of emphasis. I was thinking, well, I won't tell you what I was wanting to preach. I just had to put the kibosh on that and go with what it said. But that's what our Lord has said here. It's a point of emphasis. And you think about that. I mean, here's one who is prepared for his passion He has been given instructions through that night about his departure, his ascension, his session at the right hand of the Father, and what was going to transpire through this ordinance, this transition from the Old Testament picture of the Passover lamb to the New Testament picture of the Lamb of God Himself slain for the sins of His people. We can think of the emotion that is pent up really in the heart of our Savior to be with His twelve, of course representing all of His people, and to go forth and preach, to gather His people in. His desire to be present with them. That He might give them this ordinance, this table, whereby we might remember Him in the years, the unknown period of His absence that we dwell in still today. And I thought this evening it might befit us to come again to that institution of this ordinance and just come with simplicity to remind ourselves what it is that we do. What it is that God has ordained be repeated among us until He comes. And so I want to just look again at at the, the pieces of what we're about this evening. And the first one that I would have us look at is the elements themselves. And again, and I love the way our confession phrases it, it speaks about these New Testament ordinances that are 
not as ornate, less outward. Well, now I'm showing my lack of memory for the confession. Less outward complexity, I'll paraphrase. There's a simplicity about these. And there can be that simplicity because we have the historic fact already completed. They're just the simple elements and even fashioned around a meal and all the significance of that. I mean, that in itself is what we partake of day by day. Sometimes in a very utilitarian way. The day is busy, you've got to eat fast, but you need calories to have energy to keep going and get the job done, but we're sustained by that. And then other times where we take that meal where with those that we're gathered in that we love to tarry and to partake slowly and to take in more, as it were, than just the sustenance, the relationships that are involved as well. What a fitting picture. What a fitting ordinance for His church to remember. But in the elements that the Lord chose, the bread and the wine, the bread, He says quite explicitly, represents His body. This is My body, which is broken for you. And in that remembrance of the bread and that connection to His body. Maybe at another time we'll review the fact that there weren't words in Hebrew which is the way this is presented. There's no word for represents. This is where you can get into the debates with Rome. The bread we partake of tonight is not changed into Christ's body. It represents His body. There are different times you can go in the Old Testament. I'm thinking of one now just comes to mind, but Joseph's representation to Pharaoh of his dream. The pieces of the dream, these are days, these are years. Well, obviously it means they represent years. Well, that bread that Christ held in His hand, the disciples could see quite plainly His body before them. It means clearly this represents my body. And the fact that we're given an emblem whereby to remember His body. To remember the mystery and the miracle of the Incarnation. As we're told in Hebrews, a body Thou hast prepared Me. That He might be taken from among us as was necessary for a priest in representing His people. To be taken from among His people. To be bone of our bone and flesh of our flesh. To be that second man. When we come tonight to partake of bread, let us be reminded that He is one of us. All the unique parts of that that belong to Him and Him alone, but truly man. He took into union with Himself our nature that He might represent us. But when we go from the bread to understand the cup, the blood, 
Here we see that it wasn't merely to be connected with us in our very nature. But we see the fact that He died under wrath. That it was in our nature that He took something that we deserved. He died an awful death. And again, I hope you don't tire of me repeating it, but for all the horrors that were inflicted upon His body as He was tortured and crucified, and His blood literally shed for our sins. All of that were just the attending circumstances. The greater horror, the greater suffering, was the wrath of God that He endured for our sins. And that body prepared for Him, broken and shed for us. Let us remember in these elements those aspects of our Savior's love for His people. Another thing that is central to this service beyond the elements is the presence of Christ. I don't want to get into the debates from the Roman church in the Middle Ages to the Reformers and some of the nuances of meaning, particularly between Luther versus the other Reformers. Let's just say the rest of the Reformers, there's greater unanimity on the presence of Christ, and yet even then there's some variations, some that... Well, we'll see in a moment in our next thought. It's a a mere memorial. But here, Christ has put these symbolic elements before His disciples as He's preparing to leave them. And yet, as we saw in our recent studies on those post-resurrection appearances, as He leaves them in the ascension, He says, I'm with you always. But here... As we look at this particular meeting, if we find in the rest of Scripture the promise that even where two or three are gathered in the name of Christ, and that context in particular to do the business, as it were, of the church, that He's present in the midst. How much more should we expect and desire and seek the sense of His presence? when we're called upon solemnly and regularly to remember Him at this table. To remember what He has done for us. Again, whatever else the preacher's preaching on. Protracted series on the book of Job. Or wrestling through some of the nuances of the minor prophets. We have to still constantly come back. We get to still constantly come back to the simple message of the Gospel and to enjoy the presence of Christ as we remember and rehearse that simple message. But I want to come finally to consider something of our participation Now we are participants. I trust we all come prepared to be participants as we worship the Lord. 
one of the, I think, plagues and difficulties of the modern church and even the modern evangelical church is at times, as people are gathered in, at times gathered in massive numbers, there are more spectators than they are participants. When you come here, come as a participant. Come with prepared hearts. Come seeking to join with prepared hearts to lift your voice and your hearts in corporate praise, corporate worship, corporate fellowship, and communion. But all those things that are true in every other gathering of the Lord's people are just magnified in a sense at this table. How is it that we participate? What are we really doing at the table? Well, there are two things I think that summarize this and how we as Reformed believers understand it. One is memory and the other is communion. Think with me for a minute about memory. Zwingli and some of the other reformers, and this probably is true more of the Baptistic Bible Church versions of the church today, look at the table as, if we could say, a mere memorial. Whereas the reformed and those that tend more toward Calvin's understanding take it beyond just a mere memorial. There's that presence of Christ and there's a participation in and with Christ, not in a Roman sense. But memory, for our understanding, is more than just a conscious awareness of facts. We look at memory and I think very often we use the word in our general conversations passively. Do you remember when such and such happened? My wife and her brother always get wide-eyed at family gatherings when that conversation goes that way because the joke and some of the reality is they don't remember stuff. And they're like looking at each other, did that really happen or are they playing with us? Well, memory, I say we think of in a passive sense, you just remember something that happened. But there's an active side of memory. Well, think of the Ten Commandments. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. That's not passive. That's active. There's an activity involved in remembering the day, in making use of the day as God has ordained it. Well, that's what's true of this remembrance. Christ. We're not just being reminded of a historical fact. We should be reminded and taught and review constantly the facts and the reality of the Gospel. But to actively remember Christ. To call to our minds during the meeting, during the message, in those quiet moments of meditation, 
during and after the elements are distributed, to actively remember. To call to mind, to rehearse again what Jesus has done for me. To remember that. To be mindful of that. And then, that other aspect of participation, communion. Communion that we share with one another. Communion that we share with our Savior and with our triune God. Communion means participation. We recognize that we participate in what Christ has done. Not that we add to His work, but that we're the recipients of what He's done. What He did involves us. We were in Him when He died. When He did that, that we're actively calling to remembrance and dwelling upon. It's not merely what He did in general as it were, but He did that for me. When He did that, I was there. I think I shared with you when we got the new black hymnals. I don't think this one is in there, but one of the old spirituals. What wondrous love is this is there, but there's one, were you there? when they nailed him to the tree? Were you there when they laid him in the tomb? Were you there when he rose up from the grave? I heard that as a boy and thought, well, of course I wasn't there. That was 2,000 years ago. But then I came to understand a little more of the Gospel. And then I began to realize whoever wrote that quite simple spiritual understood a little more of the Gospel than I had understood. Because in the covenant union of Christ and His people, in the communion that I enjoy with Him, I was there when He died. I was there when He was buried. I was there when He rose from the grave I was there when He ascended to the right hand of God because the New Testament tells me that tonight, as a believer in Jesus Christ, I am seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I participate. I'm connected to what He has done. And we're called upon through these elements to remember that. To reckon upon that, to count it as ours, and to rejoice. I want to sing tonight from our supplement, and we've been privileged for a month